0: Hey everybody, it's Moscow here with a quick update on the Hop Grenade location search that is still underway. Wanted to thank everybody that has sent in an email making the case for why we should do it in your city. I've gotten a bunch of them from all over the United States and we greatly appreciate you taking the time to do so. We don't have the chance to respond to everybody, but rest assured we do see the emails and we do appreciate you sending them in. So keep them coming. Tell us why we should do the next Hop Grenade in your city. All right, that's all. Here is part two of the Sour Hour with Walt Dickinson from Wicked
1: Weed. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin.
2: All right. that time. Back for part two with our in-studio guest, Walt Dickinson, Wicked
3: Weed, Keeper of the Funk, is Am that I, just part of your email, or is that a title, actually? That was, so we were trying to have, like, these not-serious titles. Mm-hmm. So that was my not-serious title. Is that on your then, email signature? And then you had yeah, a pretty on my, serious
2: one below that, though.
3: Yeah, because i gotta, I got to let them Owner. know I'm, I'm serious. Owner. Well, and head I, blender. Yeah, I don't know. Because I want to pretend like I still get to make beer for a living.
2: You, you do. You make great.
3: I beer, do. Probably. I do get to. And I'm gra- I'm grateful. You got that. your lackeys doing it, like Jay. Is that it? Yeah, I'm a lot like Jay now. I mean, yeah. I do a lot of tasting beers and talking it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You've been working out.
3: He climbs we both rocks. have beards. He's got a lot of tattoos. I'm working on Jay. We're gonna, get him. We're gonna I'm gonna get him nice and sauced up at Funkatorium Invitational. We're gonna get him tattooed. It oh yes, yes, please. Give him that WikiWeed tramp stamp.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's been, I haven't seen a truly hammered Jay in a while. It's been. It's been too
0: long. <laughs> like a while. <laughs> what time is it? Uh, it's been
2: at least... Uh... At least two hours ago. <laughs> Only Sour Hour time, though. Right. So that's, you know, a few weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, welcome back. This is the Sour Hour Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. Here with Scott, who you just heard. And Bebo hanging in there also. Hey, Bevo.
0: Still here. Bevo. Drinking. Had some Wicked Weed beer. Some sour beer. Wow.
4: I did. And I enjoyed it. And what was the reason? I don't reason? hate sour beer no, no. i enjoy it very much yeah i remember a day when, when
3: bevo really liked sour beer there was a time, yeah, yeah, was a time. Was. i remember those days now she has to and eat, then i got old because first.
4: i was born before in
2: 1985 and <laughs> things happen to your body <laughs> <laughs> hashtag
0: wrinkle cream
4: <laughs> hashtag wrinkle cream
0: yeah you have no idea. <laughs> Should we do another uh, Sour Hour public service announcement coming off of the ringing uh, no uh, sulfur in the don't light your barrels on fire? We can get Bevo to do one on uh, what happens to your body when you age. Hi, I'm Bevo from the Brewing Network. Yeah,
2: just drop that in. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the way to be. But, yeah, do not light sulfur in a bourbon barrel.
0: Don't do that. Bad. Boom. Bad idea.
2: Uh, yeah, we've got uh, Walt that I just alluded to in the studio. Also, uh, Alex, co-founder of the Rare Barrel, still here.
5: Oh, hey.
2: Not having as many beers as I would like.
5: I, I can finish this beer in front of me.
2: Yeah, let's... Uh, we'll wait. We'll wait. Oh, shot glass style. You need an... Ah, All right. A little topper there? Here. There we go. That's how Bottom's people at home up. know you actually did it. Let's do it. If you want to drink and call in with us, call 888-401-BEER, which is actually the phone number you're supposed to call. Hmm. almost forgot that in the first show. We, we got a call uh, from Jen...
3: Long-time
0: listener, first-time caller, I believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but she said, said long-time, first-time, just to shorten it up.
3: You know? Yeah,
2: yeah. From Asheville, North Carolina, what are the chances? She's a big fan. Excellent <laughs> question on aged hops. Uh, so we appreciate that. Hope you guys call in, in in this hour as well. Also join us in the chat. You can send us some feedback, scott at thebrewingnetwork.com, jay at thebrewingnetwork.com with uh, other questions, and watch us on thebrewingnetwork.com slash tv. Download the BN app, search BN mobile on iTunes, and subscribe on that same platform, the iTunes, and leave us feedbacks. Tell Walt how great he was on the show tonight.
3: It's funny when you're doing that. I feel like if you've ever seen those, uh, you know, like the vote for your, like, American Idol or whatever things where they're, like, yeah. they're making signs. Like, I want to do that when Jay's reading all that stuff off. Like, I want to mime whatever it is he's actually doing. Text
0: 83745 <laughs> to vote for Walt as best guest on yeah. the Sour Normal uh, rates and messaging may apply. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, let's just dive right into it with, I think, uh, a pretty controversial topic and one that we could spend really the rest of the show on. Stalin? Stalin. Early years. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Too soon, guys. Still too soon. You're right. The man loved omelets. Let's let's (laughs) get (laughs) back.
3: God, I'm never going to use that quote ever again. No, you know, we've... uh,
2: You know, we've talked about a kind of a few of your different processes for uh, your sour beers, or beers that you wouldn't even really actually refer to as sour beers—more kind of tart farmhouse uh, beers. Where does Wicked Weed stand on how do you name sour beers? What names apply to what processes? And let's just let's just take that as a first step.
3: All right, give me a second. I'm gonna
0: go get my soapbox. I'll be right back. Hold on. <laughs> All right. All right, yeah, he's, he's standing up on okay. it. And uh, bring
3: the mic with you. All right. Okay.
4: Uh, 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 okay. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Go so, ahead.
3: So this is a very interesting topic, and I think I think one that's kind of coming to a head right now. Uh, there was a, a good roundtable discussion. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there at CBC about this topic um, amongst a bunch of brewers. And I think it's something that's affecting the market right now. Sour beer is... I think a good example. You asked me a question earlier. When you know how, who was making sour beer? What was sour beer like in Asheville when you started? Well, nobody was. We're now one of the larger producers in the country, and there's probably fifteen twenty breweries within a couple states now producing sour beer, and it's, and and so many breweries are producing these styles now. And the proliferation of you know goza and the kettle sours and and just this whole this whole realm of people wanting sour beer, I think it's put us in an interesting spot. You know, when when the guys who who originated American sour beer started producing it, they didn't have to think about that. They just were making a beer and they called it sour beer because it was sour. And, and that's what it was. And it was really just that. I mean, Berliner wasn't much of a thing at the time. You didn't really have to worry about discrepancy. Brett beer was Brett beer. Sour beer was sour beer. It was that simple. Well, now we've kind of, everything's changed, you know? And, and now I think the problem is how do you, well, how do you one be respectful of the people producing styles and give them the respect they deserve for the time, dedication, and space and energy it took to make that beer. And then two, how do you not confuse the consumer and lie to them? Even if you're not doing it intentionally, like, you know, again, if you tell them a kettle-soured beer is a Flanders Red or a whatever, like, that's lying. You know, that's that's telling it. You know that's not what that style is. It's not representative. It's like me calling my beer Lambic. My beer is not a Lambic. A Lambic is produced in Brussels. Like, it's produced by from spontaneous fermentation and of a three-year blend. So... You know, as brewers, it's really important that we are honest with the consumer about what we're doing. So I think this is something that you know we can kind of continue to dig into, but it's going to be a big challenge as we move forward because everybody's learning right now. I mean, this isn't something everybody's comfortable with. Sour beer is a very new thing. We we turn people on to sour beer every day. So one, it's really important that we're doing a good job producing these beers, and we're not making bad examples to put in the market. And the other one is when we do put them in the market, like making sure not just us brewers, but retailers too, are not selling something as you know. Don't sell a Berliner as a sour beer. Don't sell Brett. I mean, even even though some of these beers we've drank tonight, I think you may you were like you know you were just. Busting his balls about Map of the Sun because Map of the Sun is like one of my favorite Tremendous beers. On the, beer. Yeah, but you know that Peach Farmhouse. It, you know, I could have passed that as a sour beer, but it's not. It didn't take me a year to make. It doesn't fit the criteria of of a barrel aged sour to me, and so that's, that's why I say it's a Brett beer. It's a Brett Farmhouse beer. It's a, a Brett Har- Farmhouse beer with acidity, but it's it's not a sour beer because I think that's taking away from what we're doing. And at the end of the day, like every time we aren't honest about what we're doing, we're hurting our own industry. We're hurting ourselves, and I, I think. A lot of times it's just we're not having the conversation so people don't know they're doing it.
2: Well, it's good we're having it now because, you know, I think through your various production methods, you have almost put yourself in the position where you have to decide. You have to make these decisions for Wicked Weed. And I think, you know, as an industry overall, as American brewers, you know, we're borrowing from many styles. We're and paving a new way and trying to name new styles for ourselves but also communicated clearly to the consumer, which is difficult. I mean, how do you, you know, borrow from Lambic and Berliner and Goza and Flanders style Mm -hmm. beers and not call it that, Mm -hmm. but then also communicate to a relatively young beer market what these different beers are without also kind of trampling on the feet of the other styles that we're all also trying to name right now. So that's kind of a, My head is spinning just from saying that out loud, but how do you guys do it at Wicked Weed?
3: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's that piece where, and I think it's going to be up to us as a community of sour beer producers to have that greater conversation and create some kind of basic terminology and nomenclature and like parameters for things to fit in. Because right now, what is sour beer, you know? Well, sour beer is any beer being produced with acidity. That's kind of the way the world is terming it, even though we don't think it should be. To me, sour beer. Means American sour beer. It means American barrel-aged sour beer. That's what sour beer was when we started it. Everything else does have a place, you know. I think Brett beers are Brett beers. If, if it's not long-term mature, matured in a barrel, if it doesn't have an appropriate acidity, I think that's a Brett beer. Um, and, and that's kind of my terminology for it. Or, or that could be called a mixed culture beer, right? Uh, and then kind of down from there, you have a stainless steel sour or a kettle sour, and those are those are beers usually of a uh, kettle souring process, you know, which you've had plenty of talk about what that looks like. And then spontaneous is kind of like the the one on top, you know, and I think that's the piece that people are just starting to kind of venture into and talk about. But I think everything in at least the way I look at it, I think it all fits between those categories, right? You got stainless steel, kettle sours, you got mixed culture fermentation. Uh, whether that's oak aged or not, that's that's kind of that range, and I think that's that's like saison to me. You know, saison is this thing. What is saison? It's it's the catch-all of these rustic beers, and I think that makes culture really fits in that category. And that can be that can be steel, that can be all Brett character with no acidity. That can be acidity and some and some wood, but it's not it's not the committed kind of matured barrel aged sour that that looks a lot more like wine that takes that kind of patience time and practice and and then you have american barrel aged sour and then you know spontaneous which is kind of the the new frontier that is a little exciting and a little terrifying for the whole community to be venturing into but is exciting at the same time
2: so in that context you slot your tar- farmhouse beers into the mixed ferment category because there is you know Brett correct and then there is a combining with Sour Cultures, the cassette, mm-hmm. and then there's also Aged in Oak, but that's different from a long-term sour beer. So where where's the line for you? So where are you driving?
3: Again... Me, it's how does the beer feel? You know, to me, the beer feels like a Brett beer. Brett's the star. I mean, that's, that's what that beer's about. It's about Brettanomyces. It's about what it's doing in the beer. And so for me, the acidity is just propping up the fruit character or the Brett character and just giving it balance. I think acidity works with Brettanomyces very well. And, you know, maybe I'm biased as a sour beer producer, but you know, that's what we do. Everybody's, they're buying the beers that they're buying our palate. You know, that's what we're producing. We're producing the beers that taste good to us. And so for me, I think a little bit of a city works with that. And I would say if we're going to, you know, that's the cloudy area for me, you know, mixed culture is this kind of weird range that, cause do you just say, well, I mean, you can break it up. You want to get really serious. You can go, well, uh, Saccharomyces fermented, Brett finished beers to like, blah, blah, all the way up to this mixed culture, wood aged, whatever but i think it's it's kind of this range and i would say our farmhouse beers would be kind of they're they're right on the cusp man they're 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 tickling sour beer they're right there but they didn't take the discipline they didn't take the patience they didn't take the amount of oak i mean it was just in, in one fooder for you know one to two months plus another month in steel plus a month in bottle conditioning or two months in bottle conditioning whatever it is it's not the same as multiple barrels multiple blends over a one to two year period and i think that's it's again it's the respect to the people who are producing it and also the respect to the consumer who's pr- paying that price point and understanding what's going on because at a certain point, we have to... I could take that beer and sell it for the same price I sell something else, and people would buy it because I told them that's what it was. But that's not that's not right, and that's not fair, and that's not sustainable. And I think that's the thing that's scary is when we do things like that, we are hurting this thing that we all love, which is the growth of sour beer and the growth of craft beer. And, and like, my hope is... You know, like Peter Bucard says, to turn the world sour. You know, I want this to grow. I, I, want every, I want you to be able to go to the grocery store and get a great sour beer one day. That's only going to happen if we're honest about what we're doing and we're committed to making good products.
0: Breach. Yeah. yeah, you make a lot of good points there. Luke just texted me and said, who cares, it all sucks.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's, he's hoping for the, the downfall of, the, of the sour beer movement.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, you, you know, you make a lot of good points there on, you know, label and price. And that's one challenge, obviously, and that's industry-wide. But then kind of on a more uh, micro scale, there's, you know, people walking into the fungatorium or maybe, you know, a brew pub down the street who just made their first sour beer. How do you communicate, you know, tart farmhouse ale to the consumer versus sour barrel-aged beer? You know, those are the first two words in the presentation to maybe someone who doesn't know what that means. Uh, You know, what's word, you know, 3 through 20 on that?
3: I know it's such a hard conversation, you know it really is, and that's I think that's why nobody's having it because it's easier for a bartender to just say, "What's well, a sour beer?" Yep. you know, it's a sour beer, and oh well, they're going to buy it because it's a sour beer, so I'm just going to call it a sour beer, and it just doesn't it doesn't help, and so a- again, it's it's us as the producers kind of going, well, we would love if everything if it was like. All the shades of IPA that are out there, or all the shades of an amber, or whatever, and all the varietals of a lager. A lager is a great example. I mean, how many different versions of a lager are there? Are there out there that have a different name? That's a very clear nomenclature that you you know exactly what it is, right? That's not well, an all beer wouldn't be a lager, but a German style beer, or a, a you know a, a or a Pilsner or whatever. You know, you have those easily defined things. I think. I would love if everything was so specific. If this, if this, you know, Tart Farmhouse or Brett Farmhouse had a specific niche that was that beer, and I knew exactly what to call it. And then a Brett finish beer had another one, and a sour beer was here. And but it, it, that's too much because we haven't created that. You know, we didn't do it from the start. We don't have that nomenclature in place. So I think it's important to like bundle things and create some simple constructs that we can actually work within. And so for us as a brewery, all we can do is. All we can do is manage what we're doing. And in that, like we're choosing to say, well, it is either a Brett Farmhouse beer and that encompasses all things that are like Britannomyces forward or it is a wood aged sour. That's where we lump it and we try to have the conversation like that. We work really hard to have that conversation with our retailers and with all of our staff. And I think, you know, I think that is manageable. And again, that's just our direction. I think that hopefully the community as a whole will come to something that makes sense. But I think we have to be willing to compromise because we're so in it at this point like it's kind of like trying to stop a freight train you know you can't you can't just like throw something in front of the tracks and hope it doesn't derail like we got to slow it down a little bit before we can like really dig in
2: let's talk about a beer that we do know how to classify and that's as a world-class sour beer from wicked weed we're talking about red angel hashtag transition right <laughs> am i right thank you vivo very nice very stern shake of the head <laughs> in, in the no way. <laughs> but yeah, this is another one of your guys' award-winning beers. Uh, we got quite a few questions about this before the show. Can you take us through uh, the process of this beer?
3: Nah.
2: Cool. Sorry. All right. Next All right moving along. We move on.
3: Uh, <laughs> God, you so, so good. Yeah, we're gonna keep ah. it like a uh, like arrogant bastard. you know?
4: More about yeah. Luke. No. Uh, uh, no. <laughs>
3: no. No. Uh, yeah. Red Angel. Well, yeah. Appropriately classified in, in the lambic category, <laughs> 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 which is totally not, which is where it won. But anyways, um, competition.
2: That's another. Uh, that's a whole other that's segment. The, that's another podcast.
3: Yeah. Segment three: How to how to enter your beer in competitions if you make sour <laughs> beer? Uh, yeah, Red Angel is um, kind of this culmination of technique that um, we've come to over the years, and that was kind of the point of the Angel series. Uh, Black Angel was, which is our bourbon barrel aged dark sour with cherries, pretty standard process for us how we make that beer. But it was so impactful to shaping the brewery we were. I, I came with this idea of doing the the Angel series, and so we do a red, golden, a white, and uh, Angel of Darkness, and I think the overwhelming favorite from fans and myself has been Red Angel. I think raspberries and sour beer are just the most beautiful marriage, and so I think this is this is a great example of how you can use raspberries or sour beer. I don't think it's the best version I've ever had. I think there's better versions out there, but I'm, I'm really proud of it. But basically what we do is we we do two types of fruiting with this, where we fruit Uh, Our standard process we've talked about on the last show, so if you weren't listening, go back and listen to it. And then we'll fruit this with about a pound per gallon going into oak. So it is aging with the fruit, and I think that lends to a jamminess of the fruit um, and kind of a depth of oxidative fruit character that's different than a post-fermentation on fruit.
2: How old is the beer at that point going into oak?
3: Going into oak, it's about three weeks old. Okay. When it goes into the barrels. Um, so it's gone through Brett primary inoculation and then a slight refermentation on the raspberries and then into oak. And then we let it sit uh, in puncheons, which are larger format oak vessels, uh, like 500 liter. Uh, again, like less wood contact, a little less oxidation. Anyways, it matures there until the beers are ready to blend or the barrels are ready to blend, and then we'll blend it back onto additional three pounds per gallon of. Uh, whole raspberries again. Uh, now I say we work with whole fruit, but we're pureeing those. Um, so, anyways, then we go through a re-fermentation on the raspberries, and that's that big, bright, just biting into a fresh raspberry, raspberry seed kind of pop. And uh, so we we let that re-fermentation happen. We use punch downs, uh, kind of a wine technique, to to keep the fruit in suspension and keep from forming any mold with that amount of fruit on top. Uh, and then once that's finished, and we see it attenuate back down, this beer finishes about a half-degree Play-Doh or less, um, depending on the year. Uh, we go ahead and, and get into package and, and then condition it.
0: So Punchdown came up on the um, two shows ago. How does the Punchdown work? Does the fruit get held down there? Or well, basically what happens it? is,
3: and I think it's homebrew this is something I actually saw this on. I don't respond. I should respond. I saw this on, like, somebody's post from Moat the Funk, and they were like, is this mold? And I looked at it. I was like, yeah, it's definitely mold. <laughs> so basically when you throw a bunch of fruit, into a beer to fruit it, it will tend to float to the top. Well, if it floats to the top, now you have you 've broken that pellicle, that safety mechanism of the bacteria to protect themselves and in an oxygen rich environment uh, with all those sugars it 's a really great place for mold to form so what we 're doing at the punch down is we 're really just trying to keep that layer on top from settling and being there long enough because once you get it into solution. Now it's in a low pH environment. There's no oxygen. Mold doesn't want to form. But if you let it sit there for too long, you can get mold forming, uh, which we've had happen before. We had it happen in one of our tanks, and you know, luckily it was very light, and we saw it. and It was one section, so we were like, scoop it out and basically kill it off with some alcohol, and then press it back in, and it was fine. But um, it, is, uh, it is, it is, you know, that was uh, one of those triggers for why we need to be more adamant with punch downs when doing these massive fruitings. I think with less fruit, not as big a deal. But when you get to that, you know, thirty. Five forty percent of the total volume of the beer is fruit on this. So, you know, when you're getting to that amount of fruit usage, it, it's kind of a new game as far as fermentation techniques.
2: And we were talking earlier about different tank sizes and dimensions you guys have used. Is the punch down happening in your typical stainless steel conical or, and now we were, you know, also discussing off air about your desire to bring on some, some more horizontal tanks. Is, mm-hmm. Does that make punch down even more difficult?
3: So the the horizontals are for primary, which we, we talk about a little bit if you want, kind of my philosophies on like what that does for fermentation. But as far as the punch downs, you know, we've actually not had an issue in a sealable bright tank when we fruit because we can keep oxygen out. We're able to keep that CO2 purge, so we've we've inspected it and never had an issue. So uh, with our larger fruiting tanks we're building now, I don't think we'll have to do punch downs anymore. We can actually just like CO2 rouse it to turn the beer with the fruit. Whereas we're using like square totes very similar to UJ, or the ones you used to use if you're not using them anymore. But um, just the square totes, they're five hundred gallon uh, and a big, you know, it's probably a four foot manway on top, so we just pop that out. And basically it just looks like um well, I don't know, what, what the hell does, does a punch? How do you know what they look like? It's like a circle with a stick coming off of it. Yeah, you dish. Just, Yeah, it's like a dish. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, it's like a plunger kind of, and you just like press yeah. everything down back into the beer.
2: Awesome. Well, let's let's uh, save that horizontal fermentation for uh, after a quick break. But before we do that, I want to get to a question, which is brought to us tonight by SourBeerBlog.com.
0: Dr. Lambic is bringing you this question from Spencer Cranfill, who says, Hey guys, thank you for helping my sour journey. I brewed my first sour beer two months before your first episode, and uh, you've been a great resource. Good timing, Spencer. Wait, so, did that help then? If you brewed it before our first episode? Well, you know, maybe like, uh, you the know, blending, monitoring it along the way, tasting, blending. Yeah. Or maybe he was like, that. Hey, wait. Know, do, you,
3: do you make sour beer in two weeks, Jay? Oh, all the time. Yeah.
0: It gets sour. <laughs> Maybe Spencer's just like, hey, way to be late to the party, jerks. He says, recently I brewed a beer and it's sour to 3.3 pH with good belly. What does he mean by that? Good belly, like the probiotic drink.
3: aha uh-huh. Oh, I wouldn't have even known that. Wow. I thought that was like a, some kind of cool new term for... Yeah, feel or something. Yeah,
0: th- that the millennials are using, <laughs> like by Felicia. Mm-hmm. Um, he said a normal sack yeast wouldn't ferment uh, in that pH, so I pitched some east, east, oh, East Coast yeast. Yep, uh, and uh, thought it was just Brett, but it was a blend. He said the question is, will PDO in this blend make my beer sick, or uh, can I keg once the Brett is mostly done? Uh, and since the pH is already low, not worry about drinking a
3: snotty beer. Hard saying, not knowing.
2: Yeah, that is hard to say. A um, few factors. You know, I'd say most PDO strains don't turn sick. I think a little bit overrated is this PDO turning sick thing. And it's not that big of a problem, especially at the homebrew scale, because it'll get better. And sometimes it's a lot better afterwards if you uh, pair it with Brett. I think if the beer is already sour, you're going to get less action from the PDO. Um, If you had started at a higher pH, I think the PDO is going to be a lot more active, souring that beer. What else? I mean, if you're kegging it, I think he said he was kegging it, right?
0: Um, he did not say.
2: Okay, I'm imagining you kegging it. I think I think that'd be a good idea because then you're keeping it cold and just serving it when you want. And then when you, if it does turn sick, then you take it off tap and go from there. But you can't really count on PDO going sick. Certain strains will more than others, but it's just going to be for certain parts of the fermentation. I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I'd be much more concerned about diacetyl when it comes to pediococcus. Walt, did you have anything else to expand on, on that
0: one?
3: No, I believe that was pretty good, Jake. That was good. Yeah, you are the professional here. Okay,
0: cool. I just want yeah. to buy a little second there. So, uh, and I, I do want to point out too that Bevo texted me angrily saying I'm not a millennial with an angry face. We we cover that in uh, <laughs> you know three or four pods ago that we are Gen Y. Gen Y. What, what I am? Yeah, what <laughs> year were you born? Eighty one. Yeah, yeah, you're Gen Y. You're, you're yeah. like riding the edge of X, but you're Y. Yes. Yeah, we're all Y. Oh, thank we're all God. Y. Pretty sweet. Yeah, the I was worst stressed would out about that. I've had people try to poo-poo that, like, oh, no, 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 you're definitely a millennial. And it's like, okay, look, if someone born in 1994 is a millennial, it's such a massive gap. There has to be its own thing. And, in fact, there is Gen Y. Hmm.
2: That's us. Yep. Let's talk more about that. But first, let's refill our glasses and take a quick break.
1: We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? (laughs) Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online. Plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers, Together. Become a member today. It costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more. Visit homebrewersassociation.org. Don't let money change up.
5: This is Vinny at Russian River Brewing Company. I'm getting funky on the sour hour on the Brewing Network.
2: All right. We're back. Quick note one to uh, give out to all those in the BN Army. All of our friends at the American Homebrewers Association have a special offer for you. Jay threw a finger right at Bebo. Join or renew you. your AHA membership. In June, which just started today, and received six ounces of Mosaic Hops. What are those, Walt? Well, is that Hop? Is that I'm pronouncing that right? Um, hops. Hopes. Hop. <laughs> mosaic Hopes from BSG for free with your membership. Just visit homebrewersassociation.org and use the code B-N-A-H-A. All one word, all caps. Banaha. Banaha. When you join or renew, <laughs> bad when you make yourself laugh. The offer ends at the end of this month, which is the thirtieth, June thirtieth. while supplies less. Visit homebrewersassociation Sorry, and use the code Banaha, B N
5: A H A. And if you don't need hops right now, you can just put them in the back of your box truck behind yep. your right. house and just let them age for a because year until they get. They'll be beautiful, kind and of like a hay-like character, but before the cheese.
3: Look who's paying attention! If nope. only they're doing
5: the
2: Styrian Goldings or Czech saus. Also paying attention over here.
0: So yeah. all I need to do to brew beer like Wicked Weed is just leave hops in my car? That's the way to do it, and you wow. know where to buy them. Sounds easy. I feel like I think everybody's also, focusing on the wrong thing. I think you're also supposed to break some eggs. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have to, yeah. make, om- to make an omelet and leave hops in my car. Yes. I can do that. I don't know what you mean I'm focusing on the wrong thing. It's, it if, sounds right to me.
2: If you're thinking you want the Styrian Goldings or saws instead, I think you should visit the Wine and Hop shop they at wineandhop.com. Yep. They also have Omega Yeast and Gig Yeast. You guys know the drill. Items, 24 hours and 50 pounds. And just enter BN... Sh- BN what is it? BN,
3: BN shipping? Oh, God, are you drunk?
2: BN shipping. No, I just lost <laughs> eye contact with my <laughs> notes. <laughs> and I couldn't get it back for a second. BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart and the discount wallet is going to be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop shop. Wine com. All right. So uh, one thing I wanted to get into that we... Uh, well, actually, we've teased out a few things, so... Usually, I'm bad at remembering, especially at this point. But the one thing we talked, we touched on last segment, was horizontal fermenters. And, you know, you had a a hot take on what the impact of that is on fermentation. And you're going to be incorporating it more, it sounds like, into your program. What's the deal with horizontal fermenters?
3: So, horizontal fermentation is, I think, to me, more emulating open fermentation, and I think that's really what we're talking about, is like the the specific ge- geometry of fermentation, right? If you have a tall cylindrical tank, and this is really less of a problem for a home brewer, right? I mean, what's the most dramatic ratio you have, like a one-to-two ratio, maybe, in a five-gallon bucket? You know, as a home brewer, this isn't much of an issue, but as a professional brewer, moving into conicles where you're looking at a, a much more aggressive fermentation, a much taller tank, we start dealing with hydrostatic pressure, and that's the, the effect on yeast, and basically that's just the weight of the liquid on the yeast and the back pressure in the tank during fermentation. So, you know, for us open fermentation is just this is this beautiful place for the yeast. You know, there's no, no there's no weight on it. It's just it's the healthiest environment it can have. It's it's very lots of good oxygen interaction. And so, you know, we produce our belgians in that way. And we started doing that and I my first tank in the sour program was a 15 barrel open fermenter. And that was a truly open cylindrical Open fermenter one to one ratio, uh, that worked really well. And then I needed more fermentation capacity in like most sour programs, except for Jay's, who just opens a brewery only to make sour beer with a good plan and buys all the right equipment he needs. I was just piecing shit together, so I literally just like bought a. I found a farmer who had a kind of dilapidated thirty barrel. Uh, horizontal dairy tank that I bought from him and didn't even tell anybody. I just showed up at the funk at <laughs> <laughs> the brewery with it and he was like, What the fuck is that? And I was like, Well, I, I bought a fermenter. Hope you're cool with it. <laughs> so, anyway, so that was our first use of a horizontal. And again, my thought was, Well, this is this is the right geometry. There's actually a, a squattier geometry as far as the, the beer ratio, as far as width to it's actually like a uh, half to one opposed to a one-to-one and fermentations were great and because of that uh, we still see, you know, we don't crash any of our beers so for yeast harvest um, during the Brett Primer, we're just letting it kind of tail off in fermentation but but basically, you know, we, we haven't had problems with um, flocculation because of the geometry so we're still getting good yeast harvest and I think at the end of the day it's just promoting again, for me, this beer is all about the yeast, I want the Brett to be very happy and, and healthy and I think that you know, I don't know if it's playing a role or not. It's Again, a lot of things we do, we just did because they seem to make sense, and we like the results, but I've never experimented with a lot of different things. But we love what happens in horizontal fermentation and open fermentation. So for us, it's a direction we want to continue. So with the new brewery, we just finished designing. You know, We had the option. We could go to upright conicals. We could do a lot of different things. We decided to stick with, even though it's, you know, floor space-wise, it's way less efficient, but we like the flavor profile of what we're doing. I mean, there's a lot of things you do to make sour beer that aren't so efficient. You know, like Cassette is a great example. Totally inefficient. I mean, 15 20% of our total production goes to making this beer... I could have totally just had a culture, you know. I could have a culture that I'm getting or I'm keeping alive, and I'm pitching into stuff, and that would that would increase my production by twenty percent, basically, if I did that. But it's a process that makes sense for us, and and you know, this beer is about process in a lot of ways, and so this is kind of another piece where we think it gives us a positive flavor attribute, and and again, that could be helping with why our yeast is surviving so well up into the forty generations. You know, we're giving it a really healthy environment. We're not stressing it out a lot, so I'm hoping that, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking that that's playing a role, and so we want to continue with it.
2: Yeah, and you talk about the stress on the yeast and how the geometry or less liquid on top of the yeast is kind of letting it loose a little bit. That just made me think about temperature a little bit and what you guys do when it comes to temperature in your primary bread fermentation, and then if there's any adjustment to temperature based on, you know, your years of experience with different types of fermentation tanks do you adjust at all or is it all kind of the same you know free rise or it's uh, static at one set temp what, what are your thoughts on fermentation temperature
3: so uh, again for us it's it's kind of uh simple and kind of beautiful and how simple it is is like we don't even uh we've we've tried uh and we've done in the past where we, we've temperature controlled these beers but uh basically we knock out pretty warm we knock out around 80 degrees Um, the Brett likes it there. And then we just let it free rise. We don't ever turn on the jackets. Half the, half the tanks don't even have the jackets hooked up that do have jackets in primary fermentation. And again, this only works if you're breaking up the fermentation process like we are, because we transfer to other tanks where we do have jackets if we need them. But as far as how we use our process, the new horizontals will not even have jackets. They'll just be single wall fermenters and it's limiting. And that it means that we can only produce the beer in the way we're producing it. I was extremely distracted
2: by Uh, (laughs) Bevo slapping the shit out of her monitor on (laughs) her
0: computer. Walt wheeled around in his chair. (laughs) Now she's on the phone. Squirrel. It's like, he
3: smacked him. I think she's going for a fly.
0: (laughs) She's
2: going for a fly. And... You know, well, I was. I'm like listening to Walt, and then he saw me just like totally look to the like, left. What's going on? Oh, I was like, was oh my god! That was, wow, that's that's, that's a saying something to her. It's an Apple Macintosh too, which I hear these days are going for a lot of money on the open market. <laughs> 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 Is she trying to listen to us and be She's on, the, on phone the phone at the same phone. time? Yeah. Also,
3: <laughs> no, up. but yeah. Anyway, so the, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, let's get fermentation. Back to it. Blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> nobody was really nobody was listening. Anyway, so that's fine.
0: I was. It was a
5: campaign. I was
0: <laughs> riveted. Oh, nice. Was it like, was someone asking for money for a political campaign? It wasn't Stalin, was it? <laughs> just tell him I'm not, I'm not voting for him. Dude, he's
2: he's great for the chicken farmers. Loves <laughs> eggs. The man loves eggs. <laughs> Say God, about just him. wearing
3: that shit out. But he just.
2: loves eggs. Uh, we've got a beer open, and it is, yeah. I believe the name is the Angel of Darkness, or just simply Angel of Darkness. Is that right?
3: Yeah, Lucifer was taken... <laughs> so, okay. mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, I think Avery has, like, all of the devil names, basically So, mm. uh, no, it, it made sense Angel of Darkness, it was the last of the Angel series This is kind of the departure in that series And um, it's the highest alcohol sour beer we produce I think it's this year's, this last year's bash was, like, 13.5% And it's that same double-fruiting process But we're using uh, boys of berry, cherry, raspberry, and blackberries And then it's also aging in uh, Spanish uh, oh, I'm sorry, Oloroso uh, Sherry Cass, Portuguese Sherry Cass.
2: Whoa, so wait, this is a 13% alcohol sour beer? Yes, sir. No, is really? no there is, there is no heat. Zero. Oh, this is a 13% alcohol. Don't you love Bertanomyces? Mm. That is a, great. a dangerous beer. Yeah.
0: Holy shit.
2: Mm. And I think there's a danger of that, really. When, you know, when we talk about flavors and sour beer and building flavors from the, the ground up, you know, you guys made a choice on this beer to brew it to a stronger mm-hmm. amount. I'm not, there can't be that much pickup from the, the sherry cask. It's probably a little bit, but.
3: A little bit maybe, but yeah.
2: But this was a choice. How did you do it? How did you get to this high of an alcohol without having any alcohol heat? Which I think, in my personal taste, is a big contrast in, in a sour beer.
3: I think if you take another sip right now, though, you will notice some alcohol warmth in the back of the throat that is there in the beer because um, it, it is present still, but I don't think it's offensive in that it's soft and it's it's the right kind of alcohol warmth. I don't think you like are offended by a little bit of alcohol heat in a good cocktail, right? I think this works in that same way. And I think long-term softening and oxidation helps, uh, again, Brett, I mean, it just it tends to clean a lot of things up and soften the beer. We've noticed that um, with a lot of, we, we do another beer called Dark Arts, uh, which is our Our Brett finished bourbon stout, and it tends to be very soft for 15%, and I think very dry too. So, you know, again, uh, maybe it isn't Brett, but I always like to attribute everything to Brett because I think Brett's this little magical thing that kind of fixes a lot of issues we could potentially have as brewers producing these beers.
2: Well, it's it's awesome, and I think it's a difficult task, and, you know, I think you may be humbly downplaying it a little bit. I think it's a job well done on a a high alcohol uh, sour beer. That gets me to a one question I want to hit right before we get to a break and then i want to get to some kind of broader just your thoughts on sour beer and sour beer going forward in the last segment Um, but what's your overall what have you seen that really does well driving good flavors in your sour beers and can you juxtapose that as an example where man you guys really have to be on top of fill in the blank to keep bad flavors
3: in your sour beers I think the big one we all fight in sour beer is acetic acid. I think that's, like, the number one thing that we can control. Um, You know, there's other things, ethyl acetate, which is, you know, that nail polish character, which is very challenging. Bevo, please. Walt's in the middle of a sentence. I'm
4: trying to talk here,
0: Bevo. Jesus. I'm a lady. Please pay oh. no mind to me. Continue.
2: Okay. Please. Just the way you said that is burning my brain. I'm a lady. I'm a
4: lady. I'm a lady.
3: So, yeah. Um, okay. So I think that, you know, acetic acids, The the if you're like, what are we always fighting against? Well, we're fighting that. And I think we all fight that as brewers. And I think the key to that is take care of your barrels. Don't move them. Keep your climate appropriate. You know, we keep our barrel cellar at 65 degrees year-round whether it's 100 degrees outside or it's 20 degrees outside. And we have pretty big fluctuation in temperature in Asheville. Um, And, you know, like I was saying to Jay earlier, I'm super jealous of his, like, perfect climate in in Berkeley, which just blows my mind every time I – yep. Yeah, fuck you too, buddy. (laughs) Giving him the bird. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I mean, I think all those things and, um, you know, being very diligent about barrel cleaning and barrel maintenance and making sure that, you know, bungs are never missing. I mean, even like little techniques of using specific blow off techniques to make sure that we're never leaving exposed barrel. Uh, I think those are all the things that we focus on to make sure we're giving the beer the best chance it can have to be a great barrel to have a a potential life in a bottle. And that's the thing we focus on day to day. And it's just that kind of diligence and, and and, you know, treat sour beer like you would treat an IPA, like you would treat a lager, like you would treat anything like clean your cellars. Like, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, especially when you're getting into like some Lambert production kind of things. And, you know, I think a great example is Jester King. Some of the most amazing beers I've had over the last few years have come from them. They have a very different feel to their cellar than we do, but in our house, it's just like, you know, we're, we're obsessive about cleaning and making sure that the the space reflects a brewery in the right way. You know, and, and, and I think those details kind of filter out across the brewery and make sure that we're, we're paying attention to the little things. I think it's more about that than anything.
2: Awesome. So that's that's great advice about, you know, limiting the bad flavors. We're, we're going to get to a break, but in just like 10 words or less, how do you make really great sour beer?
3: <laughs> 10 words or less. Um, uh, that's do that's words. Don't. That's two words. don't <laughs>
4: All right. Don't we'll put anything the out there. And we'll be right back. <laughs> I was back trying to think of ten words, on man. The Sour yeah.
0: Hour, with over twenty years of experience making world-class craft beer and more than
2: one hundred gold medals in international competitions, Moylan's Brewing Company is not just a
1: pretty face in craft beer. Just ask Brendan Moylan. What do we got here? The beer of the hour, Moylan's. Gotta love that big M. It's like a sign of awesomeness. It's got an extra kick to it. Let's pour this bad boy. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, Moylands the end of the night when the kids are finally in bed, the white's in bed. Nobody's bothering your ass anymore. That's Moylan's time. Moylan's is for you. Yeah. It's to help you out. Yeah. It helps me out. What? Well, because it's freaking awesome. Northern California brewed. It's brewed with love. With love. Oh, yeah. Tremendous. And it's always best where? Moilins. got to try it. On tap at Moylands in Novato. They're freaking awesome. Not only because I own the brewery, because I love the beer. Cheers. Boom. Kilt Lifter Scotch Ale takes big beers to a whole new level with rich
2: malt balanced perfectly with delicate hops and now comes in four packs tall boy cans so you can take the party on the go or come to the brewery take a tour and try any of Moylan's fresh creations right from the source check them out at Moylan's.com down to 3. Yeah. They've been We're dropping like flies. Out. The Sharks, these are Sharks fan. They are playing uh, in an upcoming OT out there,
0: so Stanley Cup Finals, Penguin Sharks. Ooh. Good good bear uh, sports week. Going. Oh my god, it's epic times in the Bay Area, man. The yeah. Warriors, the Giants, the Sharks, everyone's deep in the playoffs and winning games. Holy moly. Don't and remember, when we closed out the show the other week and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Oklahoma City was winning and it didn't look good, and I said, uh, hey, lots of luck, OKC. Okay, well, what do you know? There you go. Hold it out anyway. Uh, yeah, welcome back to our Brewing Network. If you like this
2: Brewing Network show, you'll probably like the other ones. Uh, listen to all the ones without Justin. Brew strong, Dr. Homebrew, Brew, <laughs> and Brewing with Style. I won't mention the other one because he left, and that's on him.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go uh, order to watch a the session Sharks. IPA. I think um, while the Sharks game is in session. Was that a joke? You should
4: just stop no, talking. Like, like I'm going to need you to just stop. That
0: was, was fine. No, that was terrible. Fine. Stop it.
2: All right, Bebe's getting angry. We can. We've got to wrap this up. <laughs>
3: yeah, please. Uh, oh, I, after your stomp. Yeah, that was
0: kind of like the highlight <laughs> of your comedy. <laughs> <laughs> that was the peak. <laughs> that was the peak. Dude. Oh, nothing. But it's still nothing. relevant. Yeah, right. Nothing. Yeah, it's not dying apparently. Oh, Alex is back. Nothing brings out the yucks like uh, communism. Hey, so what about your best, your go-to number one question? I'm waiting for it. I've been excited. For two shows, I'm waiting for it. I have some other questions first. Okay. I want to, we touched on
2: spontaneous earlier in the context of, uh, you know, how do you classify different types of sour beers? Walt mentioned that, he kind of used that as the top. I, I I would agree with him that that beer is so complex and so hard to make well. And it's such a long aging process. I'm wondering, Walt, what your opinions are on that style, um, kind of it's the issues with it, the long-term viability, and, you know, what what you're planning for your program, which I believe just started. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. We just had our first Cool Ship season this winter.
2: You got a Cool Ship, bro?
3: I got a Cool Ship, bro. Cool. You're I was, stoked. I feel pretty cool. So I think, you know, I have, I think I maybe have maybe more, I think... Your opinion on spontaneous is uh, dependent on how you feel about lambic and for me, lambic is like everything in sour beer to me. It's like the, the Holy Grail that I look to that says like this is, this is what you could achieve someday if you play your cards right and work hard And so I have a lot of respect for spontaneous beer and I think that you know spontaneous beer is a funny thing in that it, it really it's, it's a broad term right We're just saying beer of spontaneous fermentation well That's a lot of things, right? But what does it really mean? It really means lambic. And we can't call our beer lambic. So recognize that when you say you're making spontaneous beer, you're saying you're making beer that follows some some type of lambic tradition. So, you know, the the first thing that, well, I I guess I don't want to get into like the things that you shouldn't do, but you know, let's all recognize that kettle-soured beers are not spontaneous beers. They're kettle-soured beers. You're inoculating them with grain. Whether you put lacto in there or you just dump grain in there, or you're, There's whatever, it's, that's not spontaneous. That's a kettle-soured beer. Um, what if you accidentally put Good Belly probiotic in there? I would say you accidentally inoculated it. Well, you you accidentally, <laughs> what if
2: you <laughs> didn't think about it earlier that morning and then it was just
0: on a whim? It was spontaneous, yeah.
3: Oh, well, okay, maybe there's an argument there. <laughs> no, but I think spontaneous is, you know, it, I think there's a range to that. And I don't think spontaneous beer has to be what is the tradition of Lambic, which is very specific. You know, spontaneous doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be a three-year blend of of these these spontaneous beers with a turbid mash and all that. But I do think they, they deserve some kind of respect and, and discipline to achieve. You know, we... I've always wanted to make spontaneous beer. I've never had the ability to. It's really hard as a home brewer to try and make spontaneous beer. And so when we started our program, that was always in the back of my head, you know, as the little little gremlin on my shoulder reminding me all the time, like, this is something you want to do. But I felt we needed at least really three years of kind of understanding how to work with sour beer cultures and oak and fermentation to be able to approach it. And then we spent about a year kind of researching it and talking to, you know, everybody who I know who I have their number who makes spontaneous beer and um we came up with a pretty good plan and had a great first cool ship season and so far the you know, the beers are, are in uh their Econobacter phase, so I'm not really tasting them right now, but hopefully soon I'll be able to taste them. But so far, uh so far so good. I mean we saw fermentation, we saw all the positive attributes. Um I think spontaneous is, is it's getting thrown around a lot right now in craft beer and, and I think it's something um that is Exciting, and I think as Americans, you know, we are we're good at making beer, and we're good at challenging ourselves and 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 doing new things. And I think that we will make some of the best spontaneous beer in the world. I have no doubt. It's already I'm already seeing examples of it. Um, but that said, be respectful of it, and like you know, take the time and discipline to do it right, and and don't you know don't pass it off as something else because it is also you know it's a little dangerous. You know, you're you're working with um, unknown organisms that that you know at the end of the day, you know, foodborne illness is an issue. It can happen, so so be aware of of those challenges if you're going to try and produce spontaneous beer.
5: So, with all due respect, where is your spontaneity coming from?
3: It's just kind of in me. I'm just a very spontaneous guy.
5: <laughs> oh, no, but no, but where is where is the yeast and bacteria coming from that? Oh yeah, that okay. is contributing to these fermentation profiles. Well, so
3: yeah, I think that's a that's a good question. I mean, for us, you know, we really did open it up to just the ambient night air. I mean, we followed. For us, we are spontaneous program will reflect traditional lambic process um it's you know reflecting the production of the goose and so i'm working with Uh, Raw cereals, we're doing a turbid mash. We're using the proper age-top ratios. We're doing cool ship in the the proper temperature range at night. Um, And so that's basically just setting our cool ships out in the night air. Uh, We built some temporary cool ships for this season uh, that we used at our barrel house. So basically we just opened up the doors, set it just right in the opening of our big garage doors at the barrel house in the night air. Uh, And then and then did a 12 hour cooling of the wort and then homogenized it and blended it into to barrels for oak fermentation. So um, all of that has worked pretty well. And so you know, I think there's there's always a conversation is the are the microorganisms coming from the air, the natural you know microorganisms, or or is it coming from the barrel house? And from what I've seen and from what I've I've talk to you know chase at prairie and you know the guys at jester king and jason and Al Gash, Um i think that there's a pretty good argument that they're coming from uh the ambient space it's not necessarily coming from the barrel house i'm not saying the barrel house isn't a contributing factor but um you know we were pretty far from barrels we were out uh with air blowing in like pulling air into that we had big fans set up pulling air into the into the barrel house to cool them and we still saw under micro, like, a lot of brett, lacto, and PDO, um and some wild saccharomyces. So, uh, you know, I, either way, I think the right organisms are in there. And, uh, you know, that's – that's. I mean, I think that's the point of spontaneous, is to be a beer that has a sense of place that you can't replicate. And I, I think from smelling and tasting – because um, I have tasted one a couple of our barrels and seeing where it is compared to some of the other spontaneous barrels. I think there is something unique happening in our area that I'm seeing in other places. It doesn't taste like our beer. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll be something unique down the road. And, you know, it could pan out to be nothing. But so far, everybody who's been diligent about spontaneous, I, I really do think spontaneous beer could be made about anywhere if, if the practice is right.
2: Well, there's nothing more serious than food born allergens, but I'm going to bring up one topic that rings above it. Which is Cornhole. And I've been <laughs> avoiding it. I've been avoiding it all night. I was waiting for something to break oh. the seriousness of this conversation. All right. And You're I
3: was sure actually that. waiting for Jay to just... Well, go ahead, Jay.
2: Let's, let's talk about this.
5: Um, this is actually more serious than spontaneous. <laughs> yeah. <it went>.
2: So, <laughs> yes, uh, we've been lucky enough to hang out with the guys from Wicked Weed at many of these beer events. And we've, uh, we've developed a bond. And I would say we bonded. We bonded. There's been bonding yep. a bit. Yeah. And uh had some good times and that sometimes involved And some bad times. Well you had, you had you had bad times. But uh we had it involved a lot of beers and then a lot of uh chest thumping. And that led up to one critical moment in the history of our breweries relationships. I think uh, maybe Alex might remember it best. Can you set up how our breweries collided? In Denver.
5: Well, it all started on a very dark, damp night in Portland. It did. And Jay and Brad and I were hanging out at some random bar at a Firestone Walker cascade event. And it starts pouring rain outside. And it gets really windy. And then this hurricane blows open the door, and Walt comes. Flowing inside. and you know that's Paper's kind of funny, flying like, everywhere. I feel
3: like most of my staff would argue that is a very similar entrance to most most spaces I have.
5: And we're just like, oh, this is the fourth night in a row that we're hanging out with Walter. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. And, and then, you know, 2.30 rolls around and we're playing pool and we're making bets. And we make a bet on uh, collaboration. And we, we made this bet because we both have a lot of respect for each other's beers.
3: And for cornhole.
5: And for cornhole. And we had a few pops in this. And so, uh, you know, we put a bet on the table that uh, we'd play a cornhole match, best of five, at GABF, when we saw each other next. And the winning team would get flown out to the other person's brewery, put up in a you know nice place, nice meals, nice drinks, all expense paid the trip. All expense yeah. paid trip, and the losing brewery would uh, you know cover everything and host the collaboration. Basically, do all of the hard work. Yeah.
2: So, fast forward. So, why to, am
3: I here?
5: JBF. G- <laughs> we are
2: hosted at uh, the source, uh, the previous, maybe still current, I can't remember, uh, site of. The Crooked Stay Brewery, mm-hmm. and they were actually having a bottle release that day, so there were a lot of people there. Not for our colonel <laughs> match.
5: It was a long
3: line. Yeah. Let's <laughs> don't neglect those details. They yeah. were there for this. I'll, there epic. Was a lot of people
2: there. Yeah, and great. there was a lot of pressure on us. Uh, there's uh, an MC who was also co-hosted by uh, a lot of our friends at New Belgium. They were there to help out. Uh, Lauren, by Lauren, Lauren Salazar, our friend, was the uh, referee. And uh, what, really what, what happened? What happened next, Walt? Well.
3: well so, first to like set this up, I talked to my brother about getting serious about his cornhole training. And I was going, you know, I was going deep into seclusion. I was taking trips to Tennessee, back to the roots of cornhole in the woods, training, <laughs> drinking whiskey. It was very important. Just preparation. Yeah, I felt good. I felt ready. I was, I was like a drunken Rocky. And then my brother, on the other hand, just was on like a six month bender and decided he wasn't going to play cornhole, even though I told him to, and we have a cornhole set. But that said, he, he is a talented athlete, so he kind of stepped it up eventually. I would say, all right, so obviously here Jay is setting you up for the fact that we got our ass beat. What? What?
2: That's not oh, true. That, that, that didn't happen. Huh. Well, didn't, we, didn't had to come back. we had
3: a comeback. We had a comeback. I don't know. Do you want to go, like, round by round? Okay. Rare Barrel wins round one. Very proud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were, I, think yep. we were, I think we lost. We lost, we, lost on. Yeah, on. we lost bad. We
2: lost bad. We
3: lost bad. Round two, we got a little closer. Came back. I don't know, I don't know what, uh, what the score was. But it was closer. It was still pretty quick. Round three, we took him. <laughs> round four, we took him. Luke and I were heating up, baby. Jay's getting super nervous. He was he was pretty stressed out. You were in a rut. He was getting very we – Yeah, we, you were in a rut. It was,
5: it was rough.
2: Luke it was and I were in our zone. We're in that nice four. drunk
3: spot, you know, where you're just it's like when you're playing pool and you're like, Man, I am great at pool, and then you get too drunk, you're like, I'm not great at pool. That's what, yeah, got, yeah. Us. That's
2: what got us into this mess.
3: <laughs> yeah. So so I was in, we were in that spot. So we played two great rounds. Luke warmed up. We were he was hitting he was hitting it. Uh, and then we go into round uh, round five. You want you I, I feel like you deserve to go ahead and give the play by play of the final. I mean, it's good that he went to game five.
2: It was worthy of all the all shit the talking before then. And uh, yeah, Alex and I pulled through. We had a a, a few dramatic rounds.
3: One right, of, he's, he's fucking this up. It was very second. dramatic, right? <laughs> we were up. We were up thirteen to. No, we were up sixteen to like four or something. We were way up. Wicked Weed was way up. We were killing it. I was like, we're in the zone here. I'm feeling good. We got this, right? Jay is throwing against me. Okay. Throws a four banger. If anybody knows what that is, four in the hole. No. So that's twelve. I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, it it happens pretty rarely. It's pretty pretty exceptional feat to throw four in the hole. Wow. Yeah, four in a row. Right? So that's twelve. And I totally (laughs) choked. And I think I threw like one. I had like two on the board. So they caught 10 right there. And then that was the momentum swing. And so it was was a well-played round. Wow. A clutch shot by Jay over here, which he will never let me live down. It was the night he peaked in his life. He won (laughs) two two medals at World Beer Cup, turned 30, and beat me, whatever it was, and beat me at cornhole. It's been all downhill since. Yeah, I, 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 should, I
2: should say that Alex closed it out. After that, I, I had peaked. <laughs> I totally checked out, and Alex just Well, Alex was kind of ended consistent it. the whole time. It was, really, it it was really
3: Luke and Jay were just... But that's
5: a lot of cornhole talk. And the cutest thing don't... about all of it was that they were wearing <laughs> Wicked Weed tracksuits the whole time. Was, we did. We had Wicked Weed tracksuits. Nice.
4: Track so, Which you can
5: get from the WineAndHopShop.com. WineAndHop.com. WineAndHopShop.com. com.
2: But to uh, pay that off... Can uh, you edit all of this out? Yeah, right? yeah was, <laughs> I
0: sure will. We can tighten that out. Really, what you almost did, Wicked Wheat almost made an epic comeback. We did. We, we were so close. Streams. Oh, yeah.
3: we were so close. It was It was a proud showing. All right, so the point of this is we're going to make an awesome beer, and that's what's yes. exciting. And so yeah. I'm here. I'll be blending all day with these guys tomorrow. Right. I will be just like, you know, I will eat a half a thing of Tums after blending all day, <laughs> and then we'll go into another sour beer event tomorrow night at the Rare Barrel. So super excited to be in the Bay is that is that, that legal? Can I say is that the right term for Absolutely, where I'm at? just don't yeah. say Frisco. I would never say Frisco. <laughs> Anything but Frisco that <laughs> <is> <laughs> super weird. That's Santa kind of our,
0: is kind of lame
2: too. That's kind of our pre-blend, so we we're going to oh, you yeah, know sorry. have have our contribution, the Rare Barrel beer to the Wicked Weed collaboration, but then we're coming out for the Fungatorium Invitational, which we talked about in the first show. Mm-hmm. But we're also out there to do this collaboration which, you know, we're honored to be invited out there to pour our beer. Also, just a bit a big thrill to be making a beer with you guys because we really respect your beer, mm-hmm. and we do respect your cornhole game. But mm-hmm. you know, it's like the beer is up here,
3: yeah.
0: and the <laughs> cornhole. Mm-hmm. Are you going to incorporate corn into this blend somehow? I think we'd have to. Is, is uh, that we're a gonna, raw you know cereal? What
3: we're going to refruit this on fresh, <laughs> like cornage on corn. Malt beverage yeah Yeah. whatever dude it's gonna be it's gonna be a good beer i feel good about it i'm excited to bring like our two styles together it'll be good it's It's gonna be
2: epic it's gonna be great and it's i think for alex and i it's very rewarding because it continues in our tradition to just make beer in a collaborative fashion with people that we just really like and you know have had beers with and have had fun experiences with and just makes it a little more meaningful, and that that's that's special for us. And we don't do like a ton of collaborations, so for us, it's meaningful when we do. And uh, we're happy to be coming out to Asheville, North Carolina. We're really excited to see everyone out there at the fest, and excited to to get to blending this beer. Yeah, but uh, I think we're we're running a Massively. little.
3: Long. Are we over?
2: Yeah. yeah is that converted? How long has it been? Yeah. I've changed the name of the show to the Sour Life. <laughs> Don't infringe oh. on Scott's Hop Life, which
0: you can get oh. online at hoplifestore.com. Those are
4: wow. that, was,
3: shirts
4: that was the best transition you've ever that made. That was
0: really good. Well, I just got to get them liquored up. Yeah, geez, you're doing the show's too sober. Speaking of best thing ever... <laughs> <laughs> Let me
2: ask my second-to-last question. What are you going to ask?
3: I don't. Oh, sorry.
2: What do you feel like second to the last. biggest mistake in sour beer making Wait, is? That's
3: the, I thought that's the last question. Yeah. I this, wrap, uh, no, I'm, no,
2: I've
4: been, right, I've right, been
0: right, wrapping second it up. Second-to-last is uh, what uh, what hop-life shirt should I give Walt to wear back on the stand, East Coast? The keg stand one. The keg one. stand one? Yeah, that's my favorite. Okay, Ooh. and now you may answer the last question.
2: Second-to-last one fact is where we finished in our cornhole match. Go on, Walt.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Just, I don't. I'm confused. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what's What's the biggest mistake in sour beer making?
3: <laughs> How am I supposed to transition from that conversation to that question? Like, that's not even possible.
0: Hey, you know what? Just do a really good explanation. Really serious
4: now. the better one. Oh, guys. It's yeah. a meltdown. I know
3: it is. It's this uh, the first sour, no, sour hour it. meltdown. No. <laughs> Second, the now. rare barrel staff one. Yeah, on the, the rare minute. barrel staff. Yeah. I heard that was pretty epic. Okay. So I'm going to get serious for a second. Let's do it because it's a serious question by a serious um, host. Thank Uh, you. Yeah, Scott. (laughs) Yeah, Bevo. Bevo. Sorry, Bevo just just spit on her water. Spit whatever out in her hand. The whole thing behind the glass. We need a mop in
5: Bevo's office.
3: Get a medic. Okay,
1: fine. So
3: I think I think this is um, I think I'm maybe going to depart from a lot of people's answers when they answer this question because I, and i think this could pertain to brewing in general and and it is like be honest you know just be honest with yourself about what you're producing and be true to your values you know i think that we know what we're doing we know what these beers are supposed to taste like you didn't start brewing because you didn't know anything about beer you didn't have a voice and if you have a voice make it heard and make it have value and be committed to it and you know nobody will ever know the beer you didn't put out they'll only know the ones you did and so just be committed to being true to the consumer understand that they're why you're open like without them without them standing in line without them showing up and drinking your beers you don't exist so i i think that that would be my biggest mistake i see is when people are not being truthful to that consumer they're not respecting them and understanding without them we don't matter and so yeah, just be straight up with them. Give them something good and be honest about what it is. And I think if we do that, we're all going to be successful. If we don't, I think that craft beer will live on and we'll all be okay, but it's going to be a struggle. And I'd rather see us all su- – I, I want to see everybody succeed. I don't want to see anybody fail. So
2: Excellent. I'm glad we got serious for that because I, I think that's a great piece of advice. And I said second to last question because – Last, no, go ahead. That's fine. We keep can, it going. I like, I
3: like some background music. At this point, let's just keep it going. This one dude. actually won't, loose.
2: This, this won't take that long. Where can people find Wicked Weed Beer? Oh,
3: oh God. Uh, North Carolina. Uh, we're in Atlanta. Very limited. We're in Boston. Very limited. And soon to be Austin. Very limited. In for one night only? And in for one night only. Here at the Hop Grenade. Sorry. was Oh, you were supposed to say that. Oh, Sorry. I'm not. Yeah, because Shit. I'm not. Yes. Yeah,
0: so here <laughs> at the Hop Grenade. <laughs> <laughs> In which the Brewing Network Studios is housed, house. We got Wicked Weed on right now. Boom. Well, I'm going hey. to go drink it
2: all. Let's, let's definitely do that. But huge, huge thanks for Walt flying all the way out here. He's on like 1 a.m. his time. That was definitely one of the best episodes. I want to thank you, Walt, for coming out here. And great to have you. A lot Walt. of great info. So thanks so much. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks to Scott. Thanks to Bebo. Thanks to Tall Alex from the Rare Barrel. Thanks to Puff uh, honestly. <laughs> Let's just get out of here and drink more wicked weed. This has been the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network.